I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Sherelle Weibel from Parkersburg, West Virginia. She is a longtime director of the West Virginia Writing Conference, and for, it was for many years she did that. She's a much-published poet, as you would expect, and she says that her work expresses her love, appreciation, and connection to nature, people, and her cultural heritage all things that we can relate to deeply here and like to hear and talk about. So hi, welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, what, what was that writers, is that writing conference still going on? West Virginia Writers, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's Great. a statewide uh, writers organization here in West Virginia, started mm -hmm. in the 70s and we've had 40 years of conferences. Wow. Is it one, does it move around the state, one of those kinds no, of things? It's, just it's always there? been one location on a an old um, FFA, Future Farmers of America, uh -huh. um, site with cabins and assembly halls and food oh. and dining hall, and it's very reasonably priced so we can include as many writers as possible. And we have workshops. We start Friday afternoon and go through Sunday afternoon. Wow, that sounds really cool. I didn't realize you had a whole place to do it in. That's yes, really... we have a whole, whole conference site. Oh, that's super. Whoa. Excellent. And it's uh, always the second weekend of June. Second weekend of June, people. If you want to go to West Virginia. Yes. WVWriters.org. WVWriters.org. There you go. Okay. Well, I ran into you because uh, Kirk Jug recommended you. Have you performed together you guys i know you both work with musicians sometimes yes, we, we we perform together quite frequently and we do a lot of collaboration work and have done some joint work together with dual voice poems performance things like that are always add interest to a reading right you know you just suddenly you're doing the two voices and it's all different really and wakes the audience up <laughs> right you are which in poetry is good well, you know, I know. Well, the good, the best musicians know that when they work out a set list. You know? Right, exactly. You do something quiet, then you rock the house, and then you bring it down again, and just just move it all over, however you like to do it. Yes. You hope they go with you, and, and you've got it. Well, let's let's hear a poem. All right. Your since choice. You, since you requested, I think I will do a poem titled Funeral Roads. And it started from a real experience and I used some poetic license from other such experiences as we do. Mm -hmm. So it's fairly true, but it does, I think, speak to the culture of West Virginia. Funeral roads. I think it was Glenn's new wife that said something about the road. I smiled, a weak smile, because it was a funeral. And I said, this is the way we bury our people, 20. 30, sometimes 40 miles we come, off the main roads, out the paved roads, even beyond the rock base roads, through gaps and streams and fields, we come this way, this lightly traveled way, because here is where our blood began, where the dead can sleep with family. In bad weather and in winter, those with city cars or no cars, 
pile in with ones that know the way to drive these roads, know how to run a snow-covered hill, how to ride the ruts, how to open and close a cattle gate. Sometimes we come with wagon teams and boots and overalls. This is where we lay the bones of those we love. Our women hold the dying through the door of death, slip watches, rings, and memories into their apron pockets. Our men go early for the digging, pausing at the other markers, remembering with the turn of each spade, this one and the others who made our lives complete. This is the way we bury our people. We bring them home across these roads, these hard funeral roads to remind us that this living and this dying are not always easy. Is this still, uh, does, that, does that reflect current times? Or yes, it does, in, people, especially in the rural areas of West Virginia. So people and are still the, being buried in the back part of the property or something like right, that. Exactly. Yeah, that, that was the part that was news to me when, when it was like such a journey to get back to where finally the, the body will be laid to rest. And so many of the older people want to be buried where they grew up. There's a strong tie to land here in West Virginia. So they want to be buried on the home place or the home cemetery. And sometimes those are not very close by. Yeah. Yeah, that, that whole part of it is, as I said, it's one of those things. It would be news to a person who wasn't there. Right. And didn't experience it. And it's still going on today. It's not like this is 50 years ago or 100 years exactly. ago. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, and then that's great. Probably there are a lot of states that would give you a hard time for that and say it would be in an official graveyard or something, I would well, imagine. some of these are quote-unquote official graveyards, <laughs> which... You know, there was some farmer deeded an acre to the church for the cemetery. So oh, back at the turn of the century. So that's where. Uh -huh. So they are really official cemeteries. You can't just in West Virginia, you just can't bury anybody where you want to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Again, I wouldn't know because I'm not there. <laughs> federal groundwater law. So. Okay. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's, that's your, this is great. This is really good. Um, what kind of musicians perform with you, by the way? Is it is it a, a typical what we call Americana? Well, it's what I call uh, country. Generally, it's it's a predecessor of country. What I call old time, which are almost always um, acoustic instruments, mm -hmm. banjo, fiddle, guitar, that uh -huh. that type. Something I would think about maybe the 20s, that kind of thing. Uh, it's a little earlier than that, but okay. Because <laughs> that's as far back as I know anything about music. You know, I always think about like with blues, Appalachian blues is to me like 20s. Like, I know it goes back further than that, but uh, yeah, and those kind of instruments. Okay. Well, let, let's hear any of the poems that you, you uh, sent me or thought about reading, uh, any of them that you do with musicians? Um, I have done this. I, I have done funeral roads with musicians, and sometimes, oh. sometimes with singers. Um, I have a one of my best friends who sometimes sings an old um, standard gospel uh, tune mm. in between the stanzas of funeral roads. So, oh, okay, so you got to do an alternating thing, right? Uh, yes. Okay. 
Yeah, we had a, I had a friend I performed with in Chicago, and he had one poem where uh, I was humming Amazing Grace in the background through the poem, which was just an interesting th thing to do. We always enjoyed it when we got an idea. Right. To do something different. Well, let's, let's hear another poem. Only because somebody, well, Kirk, requested that I read this one, so I will do this one. This is a poem that was re written in response to um, Dylan Thomas's Under the Milkwood. Um, and it was a kind of a workshop exercise. And they said, listen to his poem, which is one of my favorites. It's marvelous. I love the alliteration throughout his piece. Mm -hmm. So I took his piece and gave it the Appalachian flair. Right. Under the Milkweed after Dylan Thomas. It is summer on Clover Ridge. The new mown hay lies green and fragrant, rowing to its own rhythm across the sloping hills. There rises into this day that stuck in the back of the throat, mingled, fresh cut, drying, dying, rye, alfalfa, timothy, and sweetgrass scent associated with summer and the too soon coming of September. Tractors and rakes have paused for lunch as the black crows call back to their own kind and the dark-backed vultures gather at the death of rodents and rabbits caught by the swath of the swinging scythe. Only crows and mockingbirds break the stillness of this afternoon while the sun hangs hot silent, begins its westward slope. The farmers, their aproned wives, and hayfield tanned children are busy with forks, knives, and eager stomachs. Babies begin napping on homemade quilts. The hands of the housewives have tidied the lunch clutter, begin the boiling of water, jelly the berries, stowing away the labors of their husbands against their winter hunger and endless days. A breeze has been itself down to the ground, stirring round the wet-nosed deer, the whiskered calico waiting in the barn, and the short-tailed shrew watching for the wide-eyed owl. But listen, dusk is stealing toward this day, as laurel run and clover lick flow slow toward the great Kanawha, the Ohio, the Mississippi, and their ocean of unity. It is the seasons that swing wide each day, daring the dust to change what is coming, running toward the humble stubble of night. Time passes. Listen, time passes. Come closer. At the bottom of the ridge, by stream banks, the light has gentled butterflies and bird moths, sip the sugared nectar lying languid in the milkweed blossoms. Everyone's eager journey towards silky, milking evenings and feathered pillows draws the dusk close, then down into darkness, humming the coming of rest, the silence of possibilities, flying, sighing, soaring into other worlds, and you, lying under the milkweed, enter the stillness of night. From where you are, you can hear all dreams. That was another one that leaped out to me of the ones you sent because it gives such a portrait of of uh, farm life and, and i was raised in that setting so it's kind of a home poem for me mm. 
Yeah, the de the details are really uh, what make it. Thank you. Where did it when you wrote it? Did do you remember what part of it you started with, or did you have the idea that you wanted to go through the day? Well, I started with under you know under the milkweed right. wood, and right away for me it would be under the milkweed because I do love the milk the milkweed blossoms and the plant itself. So that that's where I got started with under the milkweed. And it became under the milkweed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I don't know it firsthand. Never worked in with you. Are you familiar with the milkweed plants? Not much. Well, it has <laughs> no, a beautiful, much. delicate yellow mm -hmm. or orange, I should say, blossom. So it's mm -hmm. one of the few wild plants here in this area that has an orange blossom. That's an interesting point. Yeah. The only, the only field I ever worked in was one summer I told people, what row they could go down to pick strawberries in a picking okay. strawberry patch. Okay. <laughs> I did wear a pith helmet, but that was just a weird aspect of the job because that's what they gave me. Okay. <laughs> made you look very official, I'm certain. I suppose, you know, it made me, made me think of an old Southern chain gang, you know. Right. <laughs> and the boss is up there with the pith helmet. But that's beside the point. Let's stick with your poetry and hear another poem. I'll do a poem which is fairly new. Um, although um, I guess it's sort of been published at the Bridgewater International Poetry Festival at Bridgewater College in Virginia last May. Um, the music department of the college took this poem and set it to music. Ooh. So um, if you can imagine a grand piano and a soprano singer, which I'm never going to attempt to do, um, I'm really fond of this poem. Each day is a bird. Yesterday was a soft round bird who just before dawn lit in the branches of the prickly pine. Though there were moments of silence, most of the day was filled with his baritone purple song of possibility. Today is a mirror-eyed silver-tipped bird who spends the day on the porch, pecks at breadcrumbs, tongues green tea splatters, nestles among pale morning glories, then lifts her alto magnificent. Magnificence becomes this yellow September afternoon. Tomorrow will be an unnamed bird with large gold wings, crow black tail, nascent with delicate light, ready to unfold, to rise after night shelter like a rare contratenor, to sing sacred burgundy into this day in praise of something, anything, everything. Mm. That ending is really nice. Yeah, birds, birds are uh, big in your poetry. Well, I didn't realize that until <laughs> At least in the ones you sent me. Uh, mainly that was the order that I read them. It was two, two poems that were imbued with birds were the first two that I read, but okay. <laughs> well, starting to review and my work and thinking about a collection, I realized there's a lot of birds in my poem. Well, that'll be a section at least of the question. That's, maybe. Must be my nature orientation. Yeah, that's where it comes out. It's a little easier to see birds than most other wildlife. Exactly. <laughs> at least for me. I still haven't seen a moose here in Vermont. I saw one in, in um, Alaska, but it hmm. was, along the side of the road licking the salt from the 
Oh, right, right, <laughs> so right. It wasn't any romantic setting like you imagined. Oh, I, I saw three skinny moose running across the field in Wyoming once. Well, we were just driving by, and they were right. just kind of loping along. It wasn't too dramatic. There are a lot of ponds around here, and I keep thinking it just looks like the kind of thing you would see in a nature video where suddenly he just raises up his big head, you know? Right. It never happens. <laughs> there are moose warning signs all over, you know, for the next two miles, moose crossing, but I don't know where they are. Whatever you want to read. Your choice. Um, all right. As I am aging. No, as I am maturing. How's that? Okay. <laughs> and I had, this is a, also a relatively new poem, and I had to practice the word septuagenarian, mm -hmm. which means age 70. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. So this is on becoming a septuagenarian. Now, mornings leave me flabbergasted as I noodle all possibilities that swarm into the lunation ahead. 28 more potent days and nights to crunch what may be left of my time. Dance in wild silence between breasts. Watch dandelions bless greenness. Float in the black, bright claret of sunset become clouds which spin new life. Still, as celestial light envelops each evening, in patience I smile at the quilts of longing, map the crooked jet jitter of autumnal leaves that sway, then fall again and again. Know that I too shall fall, only once this time. Mm. Do you get a... Uh what in, what are any new sources that come to you? It's talking about longevity. So you've been writing poems for a long time, but do you have you lately run into any new kind of source? Some poet maybe that does something a little different that you decide you want to try or anything like that. I don't know. That just occurred to me. No, I don't. To wonder. I think I'm still using the sources I've always used, which has been an image or a line or even sometimes a line I heard incorrectly. Mm. And I suppose also I'm a, I'm an avid reader. So there'll be something that will spark my imagination. And then I just jump off from then and go swimming in the pool of words <laughs> or the pool of poetry. How's that for a little bit? That's it. Yes. Yes. Swimming in the pool of poetry. <laughs> I was trying to think of one more and I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, we have time for you to do one more poem if you would like to. Okay. I will do this poem, Say I Was a Poet. Oh, yeah. After I die, prop the bones of a beautiful bird in my mouth. Call a medicine woman back from my home star. Offer tobacco, cedar, sage, sweetgrass, the seven silent petitions of passage. For these words are only feathers deep in the hollow of my throat, plumes which wait for a wing, a way to lift, rise, fly, to soar from the lips, the fingers, become a prayer of fire, hitching a ride homeward. That's the poem that reminded me that there are the mounds around where you lived here in Parkersburg, West Virginia. When you brought up the... Uh, shamanistic elements right in that poem the feathers and whatever and that's what reminded me oh yeah there was that uh those uh mounds and uh is that much part of culture there or much of a presence or is that sort of an 
piece of the past that sits there and it's a nice I uh, think it's tourist sort of attraction. piece of a pass and we and people in this area get reminded of it when we have tourists in town. I think it's <laughs> like it's like any any local group you kind of take for granted what's there until someone new arrives. Yeah. And then they go, wow, this is great. And you, yes. oh, yeah. Yeah. you kind of forget. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been really nice visiting with you, Sherelle. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And learning about the, what's, what's the name of your annual conference? West, West Virginia Writers Inc. I yeah. 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 And I also met some interesting people that the Bridgewater, uh, gathering a couple of years ago not when you were there the year before the before yes, that maybe. last year was my first year yeah I was, I was blown away by that it was really interesting and a diverse group of folks from a lot of different areas which is really really pleasant that way and constant poetry that was what was wonderful <laughs> absolutely yeah three days of just poetry coming at you it was just really wonderful. Well, again, thanks for being here. We are listening to Poetry Spoken here, folks. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Sherelle Weigel from Parkersburg, West Virginia. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.